Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. We're here in Warsaw, Poland for the Global Forum on Nicotine, the annual conference that promotes safer nicotine products and tobacco harm reduction, celebrating its 10th anniversary. And joining me today is Dr. Colin Mendelson. How's it going, Colin? Oh, great, thank you. Thank you for asking me, Brett. Well, in person, I mean, you had to come from Australia, I had to come from Vancouver, and we met in Warsaw. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be worth it. <laughs> totally. Well, I don't know if there's a lot of celebrating going on in Australia right now, is there? Well, not in our camp, no. So um, things have gone from bad to worse, as you probably know. And nicotine has, has been for many years regarded as a medicine in Australia. Uh, there was a crackdown in October 21 to really reinforce that approach. And we're about to have a further crackdown to ban what was already banned because that didn't work. So we're, we're going to do it again. So it's a ban on top of a ban. Yes, yes. How does that gonna work? How's that gonna work? Yeah, look, I don't think it is going to work. So um, the original ban has been a complete failure as predicted. I mean, we, we looked at this very carefully when it was first introduced. Um, the government basically said, look, you can't vape unless you have a prescription. You can't, you can't import products, you can't sell them, you can't use them if you don't have a prescription. And they've been regulating vaping as a medicinal product. This has been rejected by doctors, by consumers, by vapors and pharmacists, and all the worst outcomes that we anticipated have happened. So 8% of vapors have a prescription. So of all the sales, 92% are illegal. So this has generated a thriving black market. So people have said, look, I'm not going to the doctor to get a prescription. First of all, my doctor won't write a script. They, they don't get it. Secondly, most pharmacies won't dispense them. And I can't get my favorite brands anyway. And thirdly, um, why should I have to when I can go to the, the corner shop and buy cigarettes? So 8% of vapors only have a prescription. And this thriving black market has naturally developed because people have, are looking for an alternative, easier source of alternative products. And so tobacconists, convenience stores, social media has stepped in and is supplying vapors. So people can still get products, but they're not regulated. Uh, they're dodgy products, they're mislabeled, they're high in nicotine, and it's far from ideal. I mean, the idea was to create a regulated model with doctor support. The doctors aren't interested. The, basically, the doctors have been receiving negative messaging continuously about vaping. The doctors are being told, look, we don't know enough, we, there are too many risks, the long-term use that we don't have evidence for. Of course, there's Ivali and popcorn lung and all of those terrible things. So they don't want to go there. They're also being asked to prescribe something that's not approved. It hasn't gone through the, the medicinal licensing scheme, which is what they're used to. So that creates medical legal risk for them. So the doctors, less than 1% of doctors are publicly listed as prescribing nicotine for 1.3 million vapors. And the pharmacy groups generally are not supportive. Um, very few provide nicotine. And so it's just too easy to go next door to the, to the, to the vape shops, not to the vape shops, to the tobacconists and uh, convenience stores um, and buy over the counter. Now you're a medical doctor, mm. right? So obviously you support these products. Yes, yes. They're safe enough? 
Yeah, look, I think the evidence is clear, but this isn't about the evidence. So I think the evidence now that vaping is not risk-free, but it's a far safer alternative to smoking, I think that's very clear. The evidence that it's the most effective quitting aid is now fairly clear. Uh, the population evidence that it's saving lives, saving, um, saving the lives of smokers who otherwise can't quit is clear. And, and yet these decisions are not being based, I don't think, on the evidence. I think they're being based on everything but the evidence. We had you on RegWatch twice in 2020 talking about this ban before it was implemented. It got delayed at some point. Mm, yes. And then, and then finally came yes. in. How horrible has been the mass? The biggest problem that it's created, which we expected, is that the black market has just thrived and the black market sells to young people. So we now have an epidemic of young people uh, vaping, uh, some non-smokers, some smokers, and this has created the usual moral panic, which is to be expected. It's right out of proportion to the actual problem it's created, but, the, the, but, but nevertheless, it's what's in the headlines. And that's now driving policy. So because we have young people vaping, we've got to ban this now. Um, we already did, but that didn't work. But that's because we, uh, people didn't comply with our laws. So we've got to now double down and ban again uh, uh, and ban harder. And people will, will certainly do as they're told this time for sure. And that's what the government is, is planning to do. Now, post uh, Evali, which is, you know, the fall of 2019, that's when we had you on the show. So it was all, mm. there was already a level mm. of hysteria yes. around teen vaping in yes. Australia. Yes. So are, you're saying that that has been ratcheted up yes. tenfold kind of thing? Look, the rhetoric is still continuous that we've got a very hostile media that reports very negative stories, unbalanced stories, stories out of context. They focus on the problems, of course and they exaggerate the risks. And that's what people are reading. And unfortunately, um, that's the message that's getting out to people. So, uh, and a lot of it is quite misinformed and people are mostly, even educated, well-informed people are surprisingly misinformed about vaping. And we see that all the time. I think that um, one of the uh, media organizations that I find really participates a lot in this, and that's The Guardian. They seem to have yes. a very special place in their yes. heart for Australia vaping. Yes, there's an Australian Guardian that has run a, an ongoing, continuing series of anti-vape stories. And these are, you know, I don't respond to them anymore because it's a waste of time. They're, they're, it's basically, you know, they're in their own bubble about, they've made up their minds about vaping, they're not interested in the evidence. As soon as there's some uh, negative story, it's blown out of all proportion. Uh, their stories are mostly unbalanced. They'll interview one or two of the usual suspects who are anti-vaping uh, and present their word as gospel. And uh, for us to be quoted or to be asked to comment on a negative vaping story is very unusual. It's not how science is normally, normally run. Normally you would expect uh, both sides of a, an argument to be discussed and for people to have an opportunity to challenge some of the misinformation that's presented, and that, that doesn't seem to happen. 
In 2022, uh, there was a CEO statement on electronic cigarettes, the Australian government's National Health and Medical Research Council. Tell us about that government organization yes. and what was the statement? Well, I'm so glad you asked. So our peak health uh, and medical research body, the National Health and Medical Research Council, produced a CEO statement on vaping, which was meant to be an evidence-based assessment of the evidence and guidelines for Australian policy, and they tend to guide Australian policy. Unfortunately, it was very unsatisfactory. So a number of us Australians and a number of international experts did a critique of that, an evidence-based critique, which we published in Addiction. Um, it was people like me, but more importantly, people like Anne McNeil, uh, John Britton, Neil Benowitz, uh, Nancy Rigotti, Jean-Francois Etter from Switzerland, Chris Bullen, Robert Beagle-Hole, Ron Borland, a whole lot of people who know a lot more than I do. But we analysed this document and we found it was scientifically flawed. It was full of misinformation and false conclusions and it was biased. Now that's from our peak health body. And you would think that would be quite a sensational piece of news. We sent it to every news outlet in Australia. There was almost no take up of that, except perhaps by one or two of the regional newspapers. And we sent it to the NHMRC. Um, one of the members of the working committee wrote back and said, we don't care what you think. Uh, you know, we're the NHMRC, we know what's best. And they sent a formal response eventually saying, well, we've, we've looked at this very carefully, you know, we know what we're doing and um, you know, go away basically. So that was very disappointing and it just is to me a clear indication that evidence is not what's driving this debate, it's an agenda. Yeah, and the tone and tenor, even just at, you know, looking at the key messages, is a bit, you know, astonishing. Yes. Yes, and there's one other government report prepared by Professor Emily Banks and her team at the Australian National University, which was very similar. We also wrote a peer-reviewed critique of that which we published, again, we had almost no response to that. So, and unfortunately, these two documents are being used to drive policy. So all the organisations who are opposed to vaping say, oh, but the NHMRC says this, Emily Banks says that. Professor Emily Banks is often on, in the media saying, well, we found this, and the health minister says, oh, but Emily Banks found that. No one's mentioned that possibly there were concerns about some of the conclusions. Ooh, that almost feels like what they accuse, so many people have accused uh, the oil industry of doing, mm -hmm. and, you know, and even big tobacco, you know, yes. coming up with the, uh, yes. the other side and confusing the issue by providing yes. multiple pieces of science. But there's no debate, that's the difference. So what's happening in Australia, I think, is that the health minister and his advisors are in a bubble. So they've decided this is the approach we're taking and if I'm not sure about something, I'll check with someone else inside my bubble and, and yes, we'll make this policy. But when we approach them with, I mean, science should work differently. You know, you may have a, a, a theory or a, a view on something. You, you look at the alternative views, you discuss it and you make some decision. And even when we come up with clear-cut evidence from world-leading experts, it's dismissed. It's, it doesn't get through that bubble. And that's, that's not how science works. And, you know, you know, I find that very frustrating. Regarding this CEO statement, there's a poster that they 
put out with it, and this is what struck me the hardest, was this big image, and we'll show it to our viewers right now. People are more likely to take up tobacco smoking if they use e-cigarettes. Yes, exactly. Technically correct, but uh, clearly not. It, it's not what's happening. I mean, we know that in fact the opposite is happening, that you know, young people who try vaping are less likely to become smokers. And we can see as vaping rates go up, smoking rates are going down. And, but if you're one of the people who vapes, you're predisposed to risk-taking behaviour, you're more likely to smoke, to drink alcohol, use, use other drugs. But it's not vaping that's caused that. And, and, and that's what they're implying. And that, that's really dishonest. It's not giving people the facts they need to make an informed choice about using these products. What's so bad about vaping anyhow if you're of age? Well, it's a personal choice and it's like having coffee or drinking alcohol. Of course there are risks with everything we do. Uh, the risks from vaping uh, for non-smokers are actually quite small. We don't encourage it for non-smokers, but you know, adults have a right to make that choice if they're not harming someone else. So if the United States' version of the moral panic over vaping is a cold, the Australia version is the flu. Yes. Well, it's worse. It's almost COVID. I mean, <laughs> God forbid um, people are dying in great numbers. Uh, so yes, they, they, it's, it's an it absolutely exaggerated panic. Well, and if you take a look, at least from our view in North America, was that it, there seemed to be a special reaction in Australia to COVID. Mm -hmm. Is that being mirrored somewhere here now in this vaping? I'm, I'm not sure if there's a, is any reaction. Um, we're very much, unfortunately, in many areas, a nanny state where the government thinks it should be looking after us and telling us what to do, and we, we can't make our own decisions, so they're going to make them for us. And uh, you know, many people resent that. Um, so I think that's a major factor here. The government really needs to needs to leave us leave people alone, give them accurate information. And unfortunately, the information from governments has been very inaccurate. You know, state health departments are putting out information which is clearly wrong, and they're impervious to any challenge. So we'll write to the the health minister and say, well, what you've said here is quite wrong. Here's the evidence. And they write back and say, oh, no, we've looked at the evidence and what we're doing is right. You know, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. As a Commonwealth country that Canada and Australia are with the UK, um, you have the UK model and clearly they've got a different read on the science. Yes. How, how is it that Australia doesn't consider yeah. what's going on in the UK? Well, they must be wrong. And so is New Zealand and so is Canada. Uh, and they'll find that out one day. I mean, that's the official view. Um, look, Australia, Australia has taken a different view. And, and I think it's got a lot to do with the people who have led tobacco control for some years have been involved in the war against big tobacco. And now that big tobacco is involved in vaping, anything to do with vaping, we need to destroy big tobacco. And if they're involved with vaping, we have to, we have to put a lid on this. And our approach is people should just stop. Uh, there's too much we don't know about vaping. So we, we're going to focus only on abstinence and uh, these newfangled ideas, we don't need them because we're the world leaders in tobacco control. 
Uh, this is one of the views that's often expressed. Why do we need to take this risk? When we've been the world leaders, what they don't, what they don't announce is that a recent report funded by the health department found that over the last five years, the smoking rate in adult Australians has not changed for five years. Whereas we've seen in New Zealand, when they legalised vaping in, in, in October 2020, or was it August, but in the next two years, their smoking rate fell by 33%. An unprecedented 33%. In Australia, it hasn't fallen over five years. And it's definitely fallen in the US and Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and look, there's lot, we, we looked at that very carefully. We looked at the countries that use tobacco harm reduction and their smoking rates have fallen quite dramatically. In Australia, smoking rates are falling at a very minimal rate, if not at all. But you would have thought that would have rung some bells. It sounds to me that those in Australia making the decisions are taking the control part of tobacco control very seriously. Yes, yes, that's right. And look, we were all opposed, we all would much rather people didn't smoke. It is their choice and, and tobacco harm reduction is an option for people who want to quit combustible tobacco. But it should be their choice and we need to give them honest, accurate information so they can make an informed choice. Whereas tobacco control wants to control them. They know what's best and they're forcing it on people and, and that's wrong. Is the issue, and I keep coming back to this over and over and over again over the years, that it feels like part of the issue is, is that they were hoping to breed out the smokers. Mm. They've kind of left the adults, we can't do anything about them, let's just focus on the kids. Mm -hmm. And they're, and they're seeing this vaping adoption uh, from teenagers as spoiling the work that they've done mm. to create this new generation. In Look, I think that's a misguided view. The number of young smokers is very small. It's two or three percent. That's not the problem. The problem is that people over the age of 40 are not quitting. Now, two out of three of those are going to die. We need to be helping those people. Um, and we know that even with that small group of young people who are smoking uh, and now a larger number who are vaping, very few of them are going to go on to smoking. And that's really a very small number. But we have millions of smokers from the age of 40 to 50 who just aren't quitting. They're not quitting. And two out of three of them will die because they smoke. And we need to focus on them. Look, it'd be great to have strategies to reduce uptake by young people, but we get, we'll get far more mileage from helping the adult smokers. Is cannabis legal in Australia? It's increasingly becoming legal, and that's one of the funny things. That's one of the conflicts here, that we're, we're showing some sympathy towards drug testing. A couple of states are legalising or decriminalising cannabis use, and yet we're going in the opposite direction with nicotine, we're prohibiting the use of nicotine. We're saying, oh yes, you can go to the doctor and get it, but of course you can't. And it, it's a de facto prohibition, which is the exact opposite of the way we're moving in other areas. You recently came out with a, a report on uh, teen vaping in Australia. Mm. What was the gist of that? There are headline figures about teen vaping. You know, so many kids are teen va are vaping and, and uh, you know, they'll become smokers, of course. What's happening with kids who've never smoked, who take up vaping? 
Um, and what we found was, of course, they're the at-risk group. I mean, kids who smoke already, who take up vaping, it's probably a good thing for them. We should be worried about kids who've never smoked. Is it harmful for them? And what we found is that in all Western countries, the number of kids who've never smoked, who take up vaping, uh, A, is small, and B, almost all of them are temporary, uh, occasional vapors. So in the UK, for example, out of 11 to 15 year olds, 1% of non-smokers vape more than once a week. 1% of non-smokers. So very few non-smokers are taking up regular vaping. Regular vaping, about 60% of that age group in the US, who, in the UK, who are smokers, are vaping more regularly. It's almost negligible in the number of non-smokers. They fiddle around, they try it for a while. Kids experiment with things. We'll never be able to stop that. And that's true in other countries, in the US and, the UK, in, and, in, uh, and in Canada, generally less than 2%. And they're mostly occasional smokers. So that's the first thing. The second thing we found is that when vaping rates go up amongst kids, smoking rates come down. And really, that's from a public health point of view, the key issue here. This is not leading kids to smoke. It's diverting them away from stinky, smelly, deadly cigarettes. That's a good thing. We also found that we looked at the evidence, what harm is vaping doing to kids? And we really found very little evidence of harm. This whole thing about brain damage, there is no evidence for that in humans. Even smokers who took up smoking as kids later in life have no difference in IQ, cognitive function, educational achievement to non-smokers later in life. Um, there's no epidemiological evidence of people who smoked as kids um, having brain damage compared to people who didn't smoke. Um, the only evidence is short-term in, in animals in rodents who were given large doses over short periods, not in the realistic way of using nicotine. So the brain damage issue is, I don't think, something we need to be concerned about. What about lung function? We found that there's a number of reviews that looked at, uh, is it really harming the lungs? And there was no evidence in two of the meta-analyses of clinically important lung harm. Yes, there might be a bit of coughing and a bit of this and that, but no evidence of physically or clinically important lung damage. Uh, there was no evidence that vaping triggered asthma in kids. Uh, and of course, there's no Evalia or popcorn lung. Um, so, you know, the actual medical harm from vaping, there's very little evidence. I mean, and most of these kids who didn't smoke do it for a little while, then they stop. And most of them are only using it occasionally, so they're exposed to very little uh, toxicants. So the risk of harm is, is even, even less than we might have expected. So the whole 30, once in 30 day measure yeah. should really be oh, abolished. Yeah. Yes, that's, 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 not, that's not helpful. So we looked, at, we looked at kids who never smoked and found that most of them are just experimenting, having once or twice, maybe occasionally at a party, only a very small number are smoking more often. And I think we need to be looking at the frequency and the frequency indicates that they're actually getting very little exposure to these toxicants. Of course we don't want them to vape at all, but in the real world kids experiment and they're much better off vaping than drinking alcohol, drink driving, using other drugs and all the other risks that kids take 
which kill kids and which lead to much more harm and yet we're in a panic about what's a relatively minor risk. So I never hear adults say, uh, well, if you're a teenager who's never had a beer before, mm. when you become of majority age, mm. well, you shouldn't be allowed to have a beer mm. because you never had one before yeah. and it's bad for you, yes. right? So why even have you know yeah. beer being legal? They should just put an age gate yeah. on beer. Yeah. They should age gate cannabis. Well, well, wait a minute. Oh, kids, they've been drinking and, and smoking joints for years anyhow. Yeah. So they just seem to have their priorities all out of whack and there's no symmetry. No, no there's not. And I think, you know, Clive Brates often brings this up, this whole issue of what's going to happen in the future with nicotine? And, and I think I agree with him, it's very likely that there will always be a market for people to use nicotine for its therapeutic benefits. Um, we're kind of not ready yet to have that debate, we're still struggling with um, its role for smoking cessation, but I think over time it's been used by people for thousands of years. I can't see any reason why in the future, like alcohol and caffeine, people won't use it as a, a psychoactive drug to improve their mood, reduce their weight, help them to concentrate, uh, to help treat their Parkinson's disease, make them feel good, it releases dopamine. I'm not sure what's wrong with that when it's doing very little harm. And yet, there is this argument that oh, we shouldn't, people shouldn't be using any drug. Well, that's not consistent with how we approach other drugs. Well, no, and certainly say, for instance, in Canada, it's not consistent with making marijuana legal. Yeah. I mean, and the government selling it. Yeah, exactly. It's the same government that made vaping legal for nicotine is the one that you know famously made cannabis legal. And it's also the same government that's wavered a bunch of times yeah. on it. That wavering, is that what's happening in Australia? When you look at Canada, is the wavering an issue? Look, I think the government is very consistent on this. They, I think they're under enormous pressure, Brent. I think that's the problem, that the health minister has established a position, but if he varies from that, he's under enormous pressure from the Cancer Council, the AMA, the TGA, the Heart Foundation. I think he's caught between a rock and a hard place. Whether he believes what he's saying, I'm not sure. He thinks vaping, he says publicly, vaping is a scourge we have to, we have to eliminate. But uh, I think for him to step away from that, which is what the evidence suggests he should be doing, would leave him politically in a very awkward position. He's come out so strongly against vaping and he would cop a lot of flack and a lot of pressure from uh, the the opposing organisations. He's vowed to stamp it out, hasn't he? He has. He has. It, it won't happen on his watch. It's just uh, an evil thing that has to be eliminated. And to backtrack on that is very hard, even when the evidence suggests that he's on the wrong track.